this week on Podcast Royal, we've got another royal baby on the way. We're officially less than three months from King Charles's coronation, and the Princess of Wales announces her latest campaign in her work surrounding early years. Plus, is Australia beginning its push to take a step back from its ties with the crown? We've got that and much more on episode 84 of Podcast Royal. Welcome back to Podcast Royal. How are you this week, Rachel? Hey, I'm good. It's good to be back with you. I know we took kind of an unexpected week off yesterday. Work outside of the podcast got the better of us, but we're back in business this week and I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, I was excited about last week's interview to share that with our listeners, but I'm really looking forward to just a normal royal rundown. And I do want to tell listeners, um, I know we've talked about past episodes where we've done a lot of lifestyle segments. I really hope at some point um, in, I don't know, our next two episodes to bring some of those back because I think they were fun. Uh, So if anyone is out there listening and you have thoughts on that, if you really want us to bring the lifestyle stuff back, or if you like us not having those in the episodes, let us know. Um, But we have some, some good old ones and I thought that might be fun to do soon. I am voting. Yes, absolutely. I love the lifestyle segments. Actually, I have one that I want to do. I've never done a lifestyle segment. That's always been your territory, but at some point I have an idea for one, but I definitely think we've just had so many good interviews lately and we've had so much news to talk about that we haven't done one in a while, but I think absolutely your co-host folks. Yes, we should bring them back. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll, we'll make that a priority this year. Awesome. Well, so a little bit of late breaking news that I just saw today. So there's going to be a movie about the 2019 Prince Andrew disastrous BBC interview, and it's going to be called Scoop. And it's going to star an actor that I honestly have never heard of named Rufus Sewell. Maybe everyone's heard of him and I just haven't as Prince Andrew. And then is it Gillian or Gillian Anderson? I love her. I just don't apparently know how to say her name. Anyway, she's going to play the BBC presenter that interviewed him. So I wanted to drop that in here. I will definitely be tuning into that movie. I don't know about you. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I think I did see a headline about that today and I just didn't have time to read on it. So y'all mm-hmm. definitely check it out. Interesting how we're going with the one name titles like Spare and Scoop, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> just keep it Keeping it short and simple. Um, I also wanted to mention, I hope listeners enjoyed our chat with Angela Levin. Yesterday, we are recording this as ever on Tuesday. Today's February 7th, and yesterday was February 6th, which was, of course, the day Her Late Majesty became queen in 1952. It also was always one of the saddest days of the year for her, as it was the day that her beloved father died, of course, making her queen. And I just, Jessica, I couldn't help but think yesterday how February 6th holds no sadness for her anymore. And so um, it it was weird to have a February 6th pass and not um, celebrate her anniversary of, of her taking the throne. So I know her coronation was in June of 1953, and we're talking a lot about the coronation, but um, before there was a September 8th, 2022, there was a February 6th, 1952. So that just crossed my mind yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good thought. I um I thought about that as well, but really sweet to think about that mm-hmm. sadness being gone. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and 
jump into the Royal Rundown. We've got several things to cover today. I do want to go ahead right off the top and mention we missed um, last week's rundown, like we said. So um, we've got we've got a couple things to catch up on that made maybe kind of old news, but we haven't talked about it yet. And then we're going to jump into some newer news. But real quick, Sophie the Countess of Wessex um, had a birthday and we missed that one on a last episode. So happy belated birthday to her. She turned 58 last month and she actually shares a birthday with my grandmother. Mm. So we didn't see how she celebrated, but I do certainly hope she enjoyed her day. And Rachel, I wanted to ask you, how do you think Sophie would spend the day celebrating her birthday? You know, maybe it's just that we don't know that much about her outside of her royal work, or maybe I just don't. I mean, I love Sophie. Sophie is, has always been one of my favorite royals, and I've said that on the show many times, but I don't really know Sophie's hobbies. Like, what does Sophie like to do when she's not working? She works all the time. So in my mind, Sophie, my invitation just must have gotten lost in the mail. She went to the spa all day on January 20th. And she just got really pampered and Edward and the kids sent her there and said, no limits, <laughs> go get as many treatments as you want. And you deserve it for all your hard work. I have no idea how she spent her birthday, but, or even really what she, like, what is like, we know Camilla likes to read and Kate likes photography, but what does Sophie like to do for fun? I don't, I really don't know. I need to maybe look into that. Sophie likes to garden. I'm, I'm totally making I feel this like up. she likes to garden too. I feel <laughs> like I feel like she likes to garden. I think Anne likes to garden too. If your birthday falls on January 20th and you live in the UK, you're probably <laughs> not gardening on your birthday. Probably not. I totally agree. I thought the spa, you know, and and I think Sophie is just classy and I feel like she's very traditional. Sort of imagine she had a really, really nice dinner with her husband and kids and mm-hmm. maybe took it a little bit quietly this year yeah it's 58 you know not a landmark year not that you need a landmark year to do it big but happy belated birthday definitely so if you follow us on instagram we recently shared some plans from buckingham palace on king charles upcoming coronation in may so we want to take a second to kind of go over everything we know here Real quick, the event will take place over a long weekend. It'll be May 6th through May 8th, if you haven't heard that already. And this whole event is really being branded as an opportunity to celebrate with friends, families, and communities. And they're really setting the expectation that they're going to be celebrating the coronation throughout 2023. So I think that means we can see something um, related to this event probably all the way through December, wouldn't you think, Rachel? I hadn't thought of it like that, but that would be cool. I mean, it is, you know, it's a historic milestone. We haven't had this in 70 years and prayerfully it will be another 20 before we do it again. So let's live it up. Well, and we did see a lot of tributes to the late Queen Elizabeth II in her Platinum Jubilee year that kind of expanded, you know, beyond just that, um, that weekend celebration that she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, True. So as I mentioned, the official event will kick off on Saturday, May 6th, with a procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey. Um, There will be a religious service, which will be led by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And we've touched on this before, but it's being reported that this coronation 
will be maybe not quite as extravagant as that of the late Queen Elizabeth II. So um, the actual ceremony, I think, will be fairly short. It's looking like maybe a one-hour service with around 2,000 guests. And then following the service, the royal family will join Charles and Camilla on a procession from the Abbey back to Buckingham Palace, and then they'll all appear on the balcony. So that'll be a really fun day to see. Okay, I have to ask the question. Do you think the Sussexes are coming? If you were a betting woman today, three months out. Man, that's that's such a tough question to answer. I'm kind of leaning toward no, but I could Mm -hmm. see a world where, where they do. What do you think? Well, here's my, I don't know. And I think it's going to really hinge and depend on what happens in familial relations within the next three months, but whatever they decide to do, I think they're going to do it all as a foursome. So if they go, they're all going to go. And I don't mean the kids are going to be at the ceremony, but if they go to the UK, they're all going to go together. And if they stay in the U S they're all going to stay together. And here is why I say that because May 6th, which is the day of the coronation is also Archie's birthday. So I don't Mm -hmm. think either parent is going to want to miss being with their son on his fourth birthday. So if they all in, I I feel like maybe it'll be like the platinum Jubilee where they went, they made brief appearances. They weren't the star of the show. They got in, they got out. And that was it. I think that I'm going to put a prediction for, I I say without question, whatever they do, they'll go as a united front. I just can't see Harry going alone, for example, and leaving Arch, like not not being there on May 6th for his birthday, because it would be impossible for that to happen, considering how long he has to fly. So I think they're going to go. I, I hope they're going to go. And I think that it, that there's a good rule book or a good precedent set with the Jubilee. I think Harry will be at the ceremony and hopefully Megan too. If not, then they'll definitely be in country. And then I think he'll say, well, it's Archie's birthday. And that's a very, you know, rational, convenient excuse to just make it a quick in and out. So I've heard that they're doing a plan for, um, they're calling it Harry in a hurry, where he's like in and out in 48 hours. So really brief, but we'll see what happens. But I hope that, I hope so. I mean, I definitely think they'll get invited. Whether, well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I do think whatever happens, the decision to attend or not attend will fall on Harry because I totally think Charles will extend an invitation. I agree. He'll, they'll get invited. Whether they'll attend, I'm not sure, but I, I stand by that I think they'll, Wherever, whatever they choose, they're going to go together. So moving on from Saturday, Sunday, May 7th, there will be a concert on the East Lawn at Windsor Castle. And the concert is likely to feature some familiar faces. So the announcement states there will be global music icons. And some members of the public will be able to have the opportunity to attend as free tickets are going to be distributed via national ballot. So any predictions on who we might see perform? Well, I've heard rumors and I don't want to stoke the rumor mill, but (laughs) I, and I don't want to get myself too excited because I still love this group, but I've heard the Spice Girls and I hope that's that's true. I hope that's true because I've been listening to some two become one and want to be lately. So I would be so down for that. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, I would, I'll be dancing to that if they, if they perform. Mm-hmm. I love the Spice Girls and I don't know why, but the Spice Girls make me feel 
like I'm 10 years old again before I cared about bills and 401ks and things like that. And so it, I've been listening to the Spice Girls more frequently than I'd like to admit, pretending it's 1996 again. Well, we're also expecting to see some light shows during the concert. They're calling it Lighting Up the Nation, and we will most likely see landmarks across the UK being lit up with various lighting displays. So that'll be really fun to see, too. I was just going to say, there's been, you know, it just makes me think of the Jubilee. Like, we could do this every year, you guys. Like, we really could. I We won't. But we could, we could have a big concert like this every year. <laughs> Rachel's not thinking about uh, the budget. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have to pay for it. So <laughs> bring the spice. So, the concert will be broadcast from various BBC outlets for anyone who won't be there in person. Uh, maybe you can catch it there. And then finally, on Monday, May 8th, we've got a bank holiday for those in the UK. And it's also the day of the big, uh, I'm sorry, the Coronation Big Lunch. So listeners might remember they did the Big Lunch event last year during the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast, but it was this big event where members of the public are encouraged to host gatherings with food and drinks in their local communities to celebrate, um, you know, whatever's going on. So at that time, it was the Queen's anniversary of her coronation. This time it will be King Charles' coronation. Same concept this year as last time. Um, they're, you know, encouraging people to get together with friends and family, whether it's a street party or just a cup of tea. Um, and listeners also may remember the Big Lunch initiative was actually started by the Eden Project. Camilla is a patron of the Big Lunch, and she's been a part of that initiative for the past 10 years. So, I mean, it totally makes sense that this would be part of the celebrations. And I personally love this tradition. I think this is such a fun thing. I wish we had something like that in the U.S. Um, but for local listeners here in Birmingham, we actually, believe it or not, we do have a few. We have a small group, but we do have a few local listeners here. Um, I don't expect Rachel and I will do anything for the big lunch as far as like a <laughs> podcast meetup. I, I think that would be really cool to do at actually, some point. It would be kind of cool. I do want to ask you though, Rachel, if we were going to do it, what would our big lunch look like? What would we do? If it were here in Birmingham or what would yeah, if we hosted, If we hosted a podcast big lunch, what would we do? Oh, we're ideating on the air. Well, I was going to say if the question was, what is my perfect big lunch? If I'm in the UK, it would be seating arrangement next to Peter Phillips and I wouldn't touch the food. I just flirt with Peter Phillips the whole time but if we're here in Birmingham let's get some champagne let's um I mean we could go to one of our favorite places that we always go or have it cater catered um that actually okay don't tempt me with the good time because that actually sounds kind of fun and I'm like a, a pod a pod get together we would totally have British flags everywhere we would have some like crowns out you know for decor definitely some classic traditional British food I'm thinking yeah um, true so too yeah bad the little, too fun. bad the little London just shut down little London used to be a pub here in town and I miss it seriously and they had great British food and we could have had it there that would have been perfect mm -hmm. but it doesn't totally. more so we'd have to pivot but okay well we'll have to think about that because that actually sounds really fun and 
to our listeners, if you are going to celebrate the big launch in your community, or if you have a friend who also loves the Royal family and you guys want to get together and celebrate, tell us what you're doing. Are you going to a fun restaurant? Are you meeting up at somebody's house for tea? I want to hear about that because I really, really like this idea. And if you are actually going to be in London for the coronation, we just ran through this big event. So I will say if you're planning your travel, definitely plan to be there on Friday because I feel like if you are a royal follower, the procession and the balcony sighting is going to be really the big event that you want to see. I mean, the concert will be fun, but who doesn't want to go when they're on the balcony and processing through the Abbey? I agree. And I am jealous of those that I I have no plans at the moment to be there. That could change, but I don't think it will. So um, just so much history. We're just living in, in cool times. And speaking of living in cool times, since our last episode, Kate has been hard at work, really love to see women leaning into their passion work, whatever it is. No woman's passion work is going to be the same, but Kate has really found hers. She's had a huge couple of weeks announcing the next chapter in her Royal work. So as a part of her Royal foundation center for early childhood, which she launched in the summer of 2021, which also I should mention now has an Instagram page. You can follow that at early childhood. The princess of Wales has launched the shaping us campaign, which aims to increase public understanding of the crucial importance of the first five years of a child's life and bring scientific interest into the matter. So the first five years work is nothing new to Kate. She's been focused on this for years and it's again, her life's work and of shaping us. Kate wrote during our very early childhood, our brains develop at an amazing rate, faster than any other time of our lives. Our experiences, relationships, and surroundings at that young age shape the rest of our lives. It is a time where we lay the foundations and building blocks for life. It is when we learn to understand ourselves, understand others, and understand the world in which we live. But as a society, we currently spend much more of our time and energy on later life. I'm absolutely determined that this long-term campaign is going to change that. It will start by highlighting how we develop during early childhood and why these years matter so much in terms of shaping who we become. I will be joined by a remarkable group of experts spanning science, research, policymaking, and frontline practice, as well as an exciting group of well-known faces from music, sport, and television to show all of us why it is in all of our interests to care about this. We all need to know the critical importance of our early childhood. They really are years like no other in our lives. I urge everyone reading this to take the opportunity to learn more about this incredible time of life, to think back to your own childhood and how it shaped you. And most importantly, ask yourselves what you can do to make the world a more supportive and loving place for our children because happy, healthy, actually she's flipped, healthy, happy children shape a healthy, happy future. So this is huge. Um, We can't understate this. And again, really Kate leaning into her life's work. So what do you think of the new campaign? And I liked how we supported it by sharing our baby photos on Instagram. That was pretty fun. We did. Yeah. I hope listeners saw that. We saw Catherine shared one of her with her dad and we were like, we got to do this too, because she had asked everyone to follow along. So I hope Mm -hmm. listeners shared their baby photos, but I love this campaign. I really, really do. And, um, you know, psychologists have been talking more and more about how important those early years are in 
all kinds of things, your response to how you attach in relationships, how you, you know, shape your confidence and, and approaching life. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional in, in that space. So I'm totally just speaking on things I've heard and read. Um, but I think there's a lot here and I think it's really cool how she's really come to this through her research and, Mm -hmm. um, and really digging into this and over these past several years, but I think she is playing a really, really important role in aligning all of those who spend their life work researching this and, um, who have education in this space and can really help bring her thoughts and her ideas together into something more tangible. So I think it's great. I I think this is such a wonderful thing to focus her work on. I do too. And she looks so much like Louie in that childhood photo. I mean, she's always said that she's always said that Louie and she are twins. And speaking of babies, we have a big baby announcement. We do. So this story was a fun surprise for Royal Watchers, including me, because you, Rachel, actually texted the news to me pretty soon after it dropped. I had not seen it yet, but we are super excited that Princess Eugenie and her husband, Jack Brooksbank, are expecting their second child. Um, And I will say this, you know, the news doesn't come as a total shock because I do think we were all kind of already secretly hoping that she or Princess Beatrice would have another pregnancy announcement soon. Both of them have, well, let's see, August is what he's right at two. So mm-hmm. this month, um, Beatrice is, is a little bit but behind Eugenie. So, you know, but we were hoping one of them would have some kind of an announcement in 2023. But um, mm-hmm. Eugenie had, like I said, she had August and February of 2021. And then her announcement on Instagram revealed that she's due with her second child sometime this summer. Now, I thought her announcement was super informal. So she was on a farm somewhere. She was wearing like brown work pants with this brown button up shirt and a beanie. And then little August had his arms wrapped around her and was kissing her belly. And and for the caption, she did credit Jack with taking the photo. So I have a few questions for you, Rachel. First of all, what did you think about this really informal baby announcement compared to what sometimes we see on Instagram where people go all out? And then do you think she started a trend with this? I hope so, because I think some of the -the over-the-top stuff is ridiculous. The gender reveals, the announcements. I mean, it's just this whole culture that I don't know. I mean, look, I'm on Instagram. I'll I'll play along. I, I like scrolling just as much as the next person, but I mean, I like, I like keeping it a little bit low key. Yeah. I kind of liked the, uh, the informal announcement. And I'm also wondering, do you have any predictions on whether she'll have a boy or a girl? I have absolutely no idea. Um, do you, cause I just, I just hope for a healthy baby. Yeah. I mean, of course, totally. I don't know. I mean, I could, I could see her having a girl. Um, I could also Mm -hmm. see her being a really, just a great boy mom too. So Mm -hmm. we'll have Mm -hmm. to wait and see, but I don't really expect us to know until she actually gives birth. So it'll be a little while before we hear that. Yeah. We didn't know about August. We don't really know about most of the Royal baby genders until they're born. In fact, all of them, I can't think of any that we knew beforehand. So. Right. Yeah. That's exciting. I'm really excited for her. I, I really like her. And I like Beatrice and I'm, I'm incredibly happy for them. That's great. 
And so we're going to jump way across the pond to the Harry and Meghan side of things. So Harry and Meghan released the impact report for Archwell, which captures the nonprofit's global impact from its founding back in 2020 through 2022. So the Archwell Foundation raised about $13 million and then it gave away about $3 million in grants. It helped, there's going to be a lot of numbers coming at you hard and fast, Jessica and listeners. Help, they helped procure 12.66 million COVID-19 vaccines in partnership with Global Citizen, served 50,000 meals in collaboration with World Central Kitchen, and helped 7,468 people leave Afghanistan following a grant to Human First Coalition. So thank you to People Magazine for those fast facts. So Archwell also funded a resource guide on positive masculinity for Equimundo, which has reached 3,673 people in 122 countries. The nonprofit sponsored the inaugural cohort of 13 fellows at Institute for Rebooting Social Media at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard. They built a playground in Uvalde, Texas, following that awful shooting at Robb Elementary School last May. So everyone is making impact across the board. Kate, Harry, and Megan, love to see it. So I also, as we wrap up the Royal Rundown, I wanted to talk about this. This news article came across my desk. And, you know, I've, I'm maybe it's just me, but I'm fascinated about what's going to happen geopolitically now that Charles is king. And something happened in Australia and maybe it's a big old nothing burger. I don't know. But in Australia, Queen Elizabeth is being replaced on the country's $5 bill, but not with King Charles. The Reserve Bank of Australia confirmed the new banknotes will feature a design honoring the culture and history of the first Australians. And it got me thinking as to whether maybe this is Australia's first step in distancing itself from the British monarchy, as has long been predicted. We've also, of course, heard after the Caribbean tour that William and Kate on last, went on last year about the Bahamas and Barbados and Jamaica doing the same. Maybe I'm overthinking everything as I'm prone to do. I don't know, but he will not appear on the $5 bill, but Charles will still be on Australian coins, which will begin production in the second half of 2023. So I don't know if this is nothing. I don't know if this is something, but it came across my desk and I was intrigued. So do you have any thoughts on this? Well, it's certainly really, really interesting. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's more to it or not. And I do wonder what Charles thinks about their decision to do that. Um, You know, we've, we've said this before, but as people who tend to like the, you know, just all of the tradition around the monarchy and the Commonwealth, it is kind of sad to think about so many countries distancing themselves and kind of separating because you just sort of think of it as this bond that they all have together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we'll have to wait and see if if they continue with this trend um, as they create more bills in the future. It looks like he's staying on the coins for now. Um but I don't know. That is that is certainly really interesting. I had not seen that story until you. Yeah, and Australia that. has been very not the whole country, obviously, but some of its leaders have been very vocal in the past about um, how they really desire once the Queen's reign ended to separate themselves from the crown. And again, maybe this is a whole big nothing. 
And maybe it's something. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, let's get into some interesting hot topics before we close things out today. So for those of you who have been following Harry's book, Spare, you might remember his retelling of how he lost his virginity. In case you need a refresher, it was a drunken encounter in a field behind a pub when he stepped outside to have a cigarette with an older woman he knew. So at the time, he didn't name the mystery girl when he when he wrote his book. But this week, someone has stepped out claiming herself as the mystery girl. Have you heard about this, Rachel? Yeah. And I just like, I just feel so weird talking about this in the, like, or anybody's virginity, like how anybody (laughs) lost their virginity, like Harry or otherwise. And I heard about it over the weekend and, um, I was working for Marie Claire writing some stories and it was all anybody was buzzing about over the, especially on Sunday. And I'd written a story about how Rupert Everett the actor from my best friend's wedding, which reminds me, I need to go watch that movie again. Cause I love it. But he said that Harry's retelling of how he lost his virginity was wrong. It was, he didn't call him a liar, but he basically said it's incorrect and that it didn't happen like that at all. And it wasn't even in the UK, which I'm like, how the hell do you know, Rupert? Like, you know, this, <laughs> like, I mean, like it, it just, anyway, I just, I don't know this whole the whole virginity convert, the, the short answer to your question is, have I heard about this? Yes, I have. The whole thing just makes me cringy. I don't want to talk about Harry's, uh, what is it? What do you call it? Todger anymore or his virginity or anything. But yes, I, I have heard about it. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of conflicting stories with this book, but um, the mystery girl is Sasha Walpole, and she said she wanted to keep this private, you know, like you said, Rachel, let's not talk about it, but she says she's essentially been forced to come forward with her identity because he put it out there in a way that was sort of embarrassing for her and revealed enough information that people who knew her could easily figure it out. Um, So like I said, she's kept it a secret until now, but she wanted to have a chance to tell her side of the story. And it looks like when they met, she was working at a stable at Highgrove and they became friends through that. They were at the pub celebrating her birthday and Harry describes their encounter in the field as an inglorious episode where she treated him not unlike a young stallion. And after... I can't can't handle this. This is so beneath everyone. Anyway, go ahead. I can see why she feels embarrassed by this retelling of the situation. And here's another interesting piece of this story. So Harry refers to her as an older woman. She's currently 40 and he's 38. So she's really only two years older than he is. You know, I mean, I definitely see how as a teenager, a few years can feel older, but describing a girl who's probably what, late teens, early 20s at the time as an older woman, uh, that feels a little bit misleading to me. So, you know, we talked about other stories in the book being a little bit misleading, and it just kind of circles back to our discussion in the book review on what makes a memoir, right? You know, um, Mm -hmm. had the story been told exactly as factual, it really wouldn't be as interesting, probably wouldn't have sold as many copies and people wouldn't be talking about this story um, today because, you know, of course he had to, he had to tell a story and and make it interesting. Um, But Rachel, I did want to ask you, 
What do you think about Sasha Walpole stepping forward to set the story straight? Do you think that she had the right to do that? Well, I promise all of you that I'm not a prude. Like I really am. If you know me in real life, you know, I'm really not, but like, I don't know why this makes me so uncomfortable. Like I just don't want to talk about your, your anatomy parts. And I don't want to talk about how you lost your virginity. And especially like in that kind of language, like smacked his rump and sit him off the grave. <laughs> like that's just that a lot. Like there's something about that. That's just so cringy to me. I mean, first of all, I don't know if that passage, which you just read identifies Sasha Walpole as the woman. I mean, when I think of an older woman, he was seven, Harry was 17. So I would think like 30, 35, something like that older, um, definitely not two years older. And I mean, maybe in the UK, but he didn't, he didn't say she was, well, I guess that she, he said that she liked horses. I don't know. I mean, it's just, look, I mean, Harry, if no one can criticize Sasha for coming out and speaking out about it, because Harry teed it up. So, you know, anything that comes after that, I mean, I guess she has the right to do it, but I don't know. It just all feels super cringy. Well, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I think to your point, he kind of opened that door so we can't really criticize her for, um, for walking through it, but, um, it does bring into question what you mentioned about the other story and how maybe it wasn't the truth and who knows? I mean, who in the world knows, but, um, Mm -hmm. if he was talking about someone who is significantly older and it definitely doesn't seem like it could have been her. So I don't know. It makes me wonder like what Megan thinks of all this, like how, how awkward is it to have that story be in your husband's memoir? And now Rupert Everett is talking about it. And now the woman who took your husband's virginity is talking about it. And that's just like, that's just bizarre. But again, you know, Harry teed it up. So no, no, they they can't complain about it. I was going to say, we've talked about this before. You, you put yourself out there in that spotlight and you write a memoir and you reveal things like that. You know, it's, it's, it's going to happen. You know, things are going to come out in the news. Mm -hmm. So real quick, um, I did want to talk about this too before we wrap up the Royal Rundown. Did you see that Kim Kardashian purchased one of Princess Diana's necklaces? I did see that. I did see that. So listeners might remember Kim Kardashian actually wore one of Marilyn Monroe's dresses, her iconic gown, um, to the Met Gala. And now she has got something of Princess Diana's. So apparently she purchased Diana's Atala cross necklace. Uh, it was almost $200,000. It was just a little over 197000 She got it at an auction. And I know it's been referred to as Diana's necklace, but actually, while it was worn by Diana, it was not ever a piece that she officially owned. So it's actually owned by name Atala, who became a friend of Diana's over the years, and he loaned her the necklace on several occasions. I believe I read, I think it was an article by Cosmopolitan that said she was the only person ever seen wearing the necklace and it hadn't been seen in public since her death, which I thought was really interesting, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to give a visual of this piece for listeners. So 
it's a pretty large necklace. If you haven't seen a photo of it, the chain is a strand of really pretty big pearls. And the pendant is a very large cross made of amethyst and diamonds. It hung right at Diana's waist. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a pretty long chain. And she's and tall. She was like five ten. I mean, definitely a statement piece. So I'm kind of curious if we'll see Kim wearing this at some point. What do you think? Oh, I'm sure. Definitely. I mean, look, I am, I would say I'm not even a closeted Kardashians fan. I love the Kardashians. Like that's how I wind down most days is by watching old episodes of keeping up with the Kardashians. Judge me if you will, but that's just, I just, I do love the Kardashians and Kim really loves culture. I mean, with the Maryland thing the Diana thing. And one quick aside about Diana that we didn't say yet, but I want to add it in here. Two of her friends, they're a married couple are auctioning off 32 of her letters that she wrote to them during her divorce for charity, which, I mean, I would think that was totally creepy if it wasn't going to charity, but still, I just think it's like still such a violation. You know, these are private correspondence that, you know, she never, expected to see the light of day and now you can go on the Sunday times and read I mean it's just I don't know I I would I I don't feel good about it even if it is going to charity but yes I definitely think we'll see Kim wear it at some point and it'll be a big fashion moment I'm sure okay let's close out this episode with a really quick Royals Around the World segment. Um, normally, we take this time, if, if you're new here, to talk about news going on with royals outside of the UK. Um, so I did want to take a second to mention that we've had the first European royal to confirm attendance at King Charles' coronation. Rachel, do you have any guesses on who it is? Is it just one person or like a couple or a family? It's a couple, but one one part of the couple has confirmed their attendance. I'm going to guess Albert and Charlene of Monaco. Wow. Did you know that or was that? Just no, like- I didn't. I just guessed. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So Prince Albert came out. He said nice. that, that he- was a total shot in the dark. Yeah, they're both planning to attend. They have not said if their children will be there, but I sort of imagine they probably won't, but they'll both be in attendance. So we'll look out for that and we'll look out for any other royals that uh, may be coming to to attend that event. Also, I did just see before we started recording, um, it looks like the crown princess and prince of Norway are planning to visit London in early March. Um, there's not been an official announcement yet, but it's looking like they'll probably schedule a visit with King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla. So we'll keep looking out for that. Um, I did read an article about them We've talked about sort of the British royal family tree in the past and how they're kind of all connected to royals around the world. But Mm -hmm. um, especially Norway, they've got a a good relationship with Norway and it all kind of goes back to Queen Victoria. So Queen Elizabeth II was second cousins with King Harold V of Norway. They shared um, Queen Victoria as their great grandmother. So some family ties there, but we'll look out to see if, um, if we have the crown prince and princess of Norway in the UK in early March, but until then we will go ahead and wrap up this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at podcast Royal. 
email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com and please follow, rate, and review our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into episode 84 of Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye. Thank you.